Well, good morning. Why don't we turn to the book of Titus? So last Sunday, uh, David spoke to us about living in hope of the resurrection. David mentioned that the fact of Christ's resurrection and the certainty of our future resurrection changes everything about the Christian life. Because Christ was raised from the dead, we too will be raised, and that fact changes our entire perspective on life. Today, in moving forward with our series in Titus, I will be speaking on verse 13, so chapter 2, verse 13, Christ, our blessed hope. I was already preparing this message before David spoke, and there, there will be some similar topics. However, neither of these messages will exhaust the hope that we have as believers. How can we begin to tap into the endless gold mine of the hope that Christ has laid before us through his death and resurrection? David and I can shine a few caverns and share some nuggets of truth, yet we have just begun. We can't cover the full hope of Christ in just two messages. (laughs) So I would like to first discuss the context of this verse, then what the verse is actually teaching us, uh, followed by a few applications. So the context. So just as Andrew has been teaching, we can divide Titus into two main headings, God and the gospel. In verses 1 through 10, we find Paul exhorting Titus to teach the saints to live godly lives, providing instructions on what it looks like to live a life that has been impacted by the gospel. Paul teaches that wherever you are in life, whether you're young, old, whether you're a male or female, a slave, to to what? To adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. In John 17, 15, Jesus says that he does not want to take us out of the world, but to keep us from the evil one. Jesus does not pull us out of the world when we have been saved, but keeps us in it as a testimony of his grace and power. Living out the gospel in whatever lot God has placed us in will adorn or decorate or make beautiful or heighten the attractiveness of the gospel of Christ. I mean, doesn't that make sense? For instance, the gospel would be tarnished if an older man was harsh, corrupt, foolish, and unstable. But what Christ has accomplished through his death and resurrection has given us the ability to live out the doctrines of God. So verses 1 through 10 gives us practical instructions, and verses 11 through 14 unfolds the grace of God as the motivating power for Christian living. The very first word in verse 11 is, Four. This word connects to the prior section and explains how it is possible for saved sinners to adorn the doctrines of God. We are able to adorn the doctrine of God because the grace of God has appeared. I take this to mean that Christ has appeared and has ushered in salvation to all who believe. This grace of God has appeared to all men, but not just on the surface level, just in the appearance of the eyes. His grace has penetrated uh, and, and has appeared to the hearts of men. 
The grace of God captivates the hearts of those who have experienced it and instructs us to live godly lives. As Paul, or as Spurgeon says, the grace of God has come to be a schoolmaster to us. So he's using this verse here in verse 12, instructing. So it's instructing or disciplining, teaching us. So the grace of God has come to be a schoolmaster to us, to teach us, to train us, to prepare us for a more developed state. Christ has manifested his own person, that wonderful grace of God, which is to deal with us as with sons and to educate us into holiness, and so to, uh, to the full possession of our heavenly heritage. We are the many sons who are to be brought to glory by the discipline of grace. Paul, therefore, explains that the grace of God teaches us to do three things. Deny, live, and look. We are to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, to reject anything that contradicts God's nature and the things that draw us into conformity to the world. The Greek for ungodly is without worship or godless. The discipline of grace teaches us to deny a lifestyle of worshiping ourselves and instead worshiping God. So live. The opposite of death is life. We are called to live in this world. The word live is literally to live in such a way so as to enjoy real life as God intended it to be enjoyed. Again, there's this, this word live it out is like this, this real life. We are to be awake and aware of the true life in Christ. What does it mean to have a real life on earth? It is to purposefully arrange your life in a sensible, God-wise way in this present world, seeking after godly wisdom like a precious jewel and placing it on your head as a crown. We are to live righteous and holy lives that bear the rightful image of God. So again... To deny, so in many ways you could say to put to death, right, the things that are ungodly and to live towards things that are godly. This is what grace teaches us, the grace that has appeared to us. The last thing that grace teaches us is to be looking. Although I've spent some time with the surrounding verses, this is actually the meat of the message and the exhortation this morning. The grace of God teaches us to be looking for something. What is that? The blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. So the next part of the sermon will be broken into three sections. What does look mean? What is this blessed hope? And why should we be looking for Christ's return? So what does looking mean? This is in the present tense, which means that it is supposed to be something that we are to be actively doing. We are to be looking, right? It's not looked like a past tense, but something that we are actively doing. It is an attitude of expectations. 
and waiting for something to happen. An anticipation of something we know is going to happen. Like a child whose birthday is right around the corner, they are eagerly awaiting for that day. They know their birthday is coming soon, and the thought of that day is on the forefront of their minds. The child is counting down the days and asking their parents how much longer until it comes. Besides maybe the impatience and maybe frustrations, uh, this is actually what grace does teach us, right? When, O oh Lord, when are you coming? Come, Lord Jesus. It's like this anticipation of something that is sure to happen. So let's look at some examples of saints and scriptures who have patterned this attitude of waiting. You don't have to turn there. But in Luke chapter 2, verse 25, it says, There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking forward, so this is that same word there in Titus, looking forward to the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it, has been re- and it, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And a little bit further into, in Luke chapter 2, And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years and had lived with her husband for seven years after her marriage. And then as a widow to the age of 84, she did not leave the temple grounds, serving night and day with fasts and prayers. And at that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak about him to all those who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Here we have two examples of saints who were characterized by having this attitude of waiting, of anticipation of something that is to come. Each of these saints persevered and were ready when the Messiah came. Their names will be forever remembered because of this attitude of waiting. So do you think that God spoke to Simeon first? And told him that he would see the coming Messiah before his death? Or do you think that he was in prayer asking and waiting for the Lord to come? And then God revealed to him that he would actually see the Messiah coming. I think both Simeon and Anna were persevering in prayer for the salvation of God to come. They were both ready when God revealed that the Messiah had come and was in the temple, and they were actually able to see the Messiah face to face. It is easy to see that this is a good attitude to have, but do we see this as a command? Is this something that God is telling us to do? This verse in Titus is actually a description of a Christian, is it not? Just like a Christian should be living godly, And righteously, again, this is something that is connected to that. Again, you know, grace teaches us to live godly and righteously, but also that we should be having this attitude of looking. 
In Luke 12, 35 through 38, Jesus gives us a clear command. He says, be prepared and keep your lamps lit. You are also to be like people who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast so that they may immediately open the door for him when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master will find on the alert when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will, he will prepare himself to serve and have them recline at the table, and he will come up and serve them. Whether he comes in the second watch or even the third and finds them so, Blessed are those slaves. Jesus doesn't say that we should be, but that you are to be like people who are waiting for their master. Again, this is the same word as in Titus, right? Waiting, looking. So to have this attitude of looking is to have a sense of, of actually a sense of urgency. Being ready, being prepared on the alert with prayerful expectations, waiting for his return. So what is this blessed hope? Paul says that we should be expectantly looking for the blessed hope. Looking for something means that it is something yet to come. Again, it's something in the future. Blessed is to be full or prosperous. To be blessed is to have God's stamp of favor or grace. God's favor is the core of being blessed. You may or may not have a sense of feelings or acknowledgement of the blessing. So you can think of the Beatitudes, for instance, right? Blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the poor in spirit, and so on. Now, these are actually just, again, this, this stamp of favor from God upon them. So, again, the Beatitudes itself is really a, a description of a Christian. Each of us are supposed to be poor in, spirit, poor in spirit, pure in heart. We are to be peacemakers. This, at, at, at the core of our heart and this new heart that we've been given, this is a description of who we are. Now, how often do you feel blessed? I mean, sometimes that, that, that feeling, that sense of being blessed may come and go. So being blessed is not dependent on your feelings of that. But again, it's instead, it's this stamp of favor, of approval of, the, of God, of, of this grace of God being upon you. The opposite of blessed is cursed. To be cursed is to have God's stamp of disfavor or a lack of grace. And, and I would say in the same way, you may not realize that you are under the curse. I myself, before I was converted, I was blind. I was not, I was not even aware of the curse of the wrath of God on me. I was oblivious to it until God showed that to me. Hope, so blessed hope. Hope is not a possibility, but a certainty of a future event. This certainty is dependent 
on the faithfulness of an object or person. Our hope hinges upon the character of God. If God was a liar, we could not have any certainty that he would keep his promises. We would have no hope, right? It wouldn't be a certainty of something future. But what he has promised, that he will fulfill. Our faithful God has promised a future event that is sure to come, that has the full stamp of God's approval and delight. This blessed hope is a prosperous surety of what is to come. Well, what is this hope? What is this hope that we have that has the full weight of God's favor? 1 Timothy 1.1 says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope. Our blessed hope is Jesus Christ. Even in this text, in Titus affirms that. Let's look at this here in verse 13. So Paul says, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. So here you have blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. These are not actually two separate things, but are actually referencing one thing. The blessed hope and the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is one and the same, not two separate things. So can't we agree that the appearing of Jesus would be the highest level of blessing? Jesus is the centerpiece of God's blessing, the manifestation of the blessing of God. To be with Christ is a blessing. To be away from Christ is a curse. So why should we be looking for Christ's return? Well, as Christians, we are confident that Christ died for our sins and was resurrected for our justification. We should have the same assurance that Jesus will come again for us. In John 14, 1 through 3, Jesus says, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. So again, we have to pause here, and this is an amazing statement of Jesus. Jesus says, if you believe in God and trust God, believe also in me. I mean, here he's he's making himself equal with God. I mean, I I can have somebody tell me, like here, you know, giving me a promise saying, hey, we're going to do this, and they may be faithful, and and so therefore I I might trust that it's going to happen, but there's always this Lord willing right? There's always this possibility of this not actually coming to pass. Not necessarily at any fault of theirs, but they are finite. They are human. But here Jesus is saying, believe in God, believe also in me. But what does he say? In my father's house are many dwelling places. If that were not so, I would have told you. Because I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I am coming again 
and will take you to myself, so that where I am, there you will also be. As Christians, we have this promise from Christ that he will come again for us so that what? So that we can be with him. So why wouldn't we be looking for his return? If he is our blessed hope, then he is what we should be looking forward to. So what do you look forward to when you think about eternal life, when you think about heaven? There are many blessings that will come with eternity, but our primary longing should be with the person who we love. Why don't we turn to Romans chapter 8. I'm actually going to read a a lengthy section here, so please bear with me. I'm going to tie this together about what we are, what we should be longing for, primarily. Uh, so eight and fourteen. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons and daughters of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons and daughters, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and of children heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the eagerly awaiting creation waits for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. For the creation has subjected to fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only that, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons and daughters, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he has already sees? Again, hope being something in the future, the something sure that, that's to come. If you've already seen it, it's, it's done. It's not something in the future. But if we hope for what we do not see, through perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. So, having a glorified body with no pain or suffering will be a tremendous blessing to have all of our tears wiped away. We will finally step away from the burden of this decaying body. However, a pain-free life is not our blessed hope. Having a glorified body that is free from the temptation of sin will be glorious. The sinful inclination of our flesh will vanish. We have been set free from the bondage of sin, 
but we are still influenced by our flesh, the world, and the devil. When Christ comes, all temptations will cease, and we will be able to truly love him with all of our hearts. However, however wonderful a new glorified body will be, Christ is our blessed hope. What deep feelings of gratitude and honor we will feel when our inheritance is brought to us with his return. We have been given the Holy Spirit as a pledge of our inheritance that testifies within us that we are heirs of God. We will receive the inheritance when the fullness of our adoption has come. Even though we will inherit the earth and reign with Christ over all creation, Christ alone is our blessed hope. How breathtaking it will, see, it will be to see God's creation being renewed in the new heavens and the new earth. We will praise God to witness the abolishment of the curse that has plagued the whole earth since the fall. How wonderful will it be to witness God's creation being set free from its slavery of corruption. We will lift up our voices with praise along with all creation, as it says there in Revelation 5. However, our praises and attention will be directed to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Christ is our blessed hope. Along the same lines, it, will be, it would be great to see old friends and family, to hear of the work of grace in their lives and in the lives of saints throughout history. However, our real blessing and hope is in Christ. I would rather spend eternity with Christ alone than with family and no Christ. Remember, to be with Christ is the blessing. To be away from Christ is a curse. Heaven will be heaven because of Christ. Hell will be hell because it's without Christ. Now, there are several applications for why we should have this attitude of looking for Christ's return. Looking will stir, us, will stir up within us love for Jesus. Jesus is altogether lovely. When you spend time meditating on seeing him, on seeing Christ, your renewed heart will gravitate towards more affection. We are not looking for an event, but a person. When you think about seeing the person who laid down his life for you, it cultivates a love and a desire to see him. Looking gives us peace, knowing that God will make everything right in the end. I already read Romans 8, uh, but God will redeem his creation. God will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. It is good to recognize this when we see pain and suffering in the world, when we see people being wronged or just being confronted with creation's natural bent towards evil. This world is fallen, but God will redeem it. Looking gives us a burden for the lost. We know that Christ is coming soon. 
And so we will desire to see them bow their knees now before he comes with a sword in his hand. You might feel slightly divided with this application. We desire for the return of Christ and even pray, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, as Paul says in in Corinthians. However, I can find myself praying that the Lord would delay in order to give time for my loved ones to believe him. Is this a wrong attitude? I don't think so. It's not wrong to desire salvation for a lost soul before the Lord comes. God himself, in some ways, has the same attitude. 2 Peter 3.9 says that he does not wish for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. So it is right to desire the salvation of the lost and therefore delay the return of Christ. However, we have to make sure that we are not idolizing our loved ones by choosing them over Christ. We should delight in the coming of the Son of Man upon the clouds and not turn back like Lot's wife. I will close with this application. Looking for the coming of Christ helps us to live godly in this present age. 1 John 3, verses 2 through 3, says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. So again, everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself. So again, so who is the blessed hope? What is our blessed hope? Jesus Christ. So again, having hope fixed on on Jesus purifies yourself. Someone once said that what you are looking for will determine what you are living for. So what you are looking for will determine what you are living for. Are you looking to satisfy yourself, you know, as Paul says, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, like there it says in Ephesians 2. Is that what you are looking for? If you are looking for that, that is what you are living for. If you are expectantly looking for the coming of Christ, all other things of the world will become more evidently empty. Just like the song that we sung, right? Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Looking for your master's return will want Will want you to make will want to make you ready for his return. But the the question is is are you ready for his return? Are you living like Christ is going to return at any moment? As far as it depends on you, have you reconciled all relationships? Are you making the best use of your time and gifts? Are you harboring? 
or hiding any secret sins. Can you agree with Paul when he said that he does his best to maintain always a blameless conscience before God and before man? Have you found yourself more devoted to Christ in these last years, or has your heart grown cold? Will Christ find you ready? These are some heart-searching questions, but I don't want to leave you without offering some hope. If you are feeling the Spirit convict you, there still is time. (laughs) Repent now and commit yourself to Christ, wherever you're at. As Paul says here in Titus, Jesus is our God, our great God and Savior, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. Zealous for good works, he gave himself for us. Let us give ourselves to him. I'm going to read the verse that I read earlier in in Luke chapter 12. It's kind of exhorting us, uh, the words of Christ. Again, be prepared and keep your lamps lit. It's like keeping the fire within you burning, right? You are also to be like the people who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast so that they may immediately... Open the door for him when he comes and knocks. They are able to open the door immediately because they're ready. Blessed are, or again, God's stamp of favor, will be on those slaves whom the master will find on the alert when he comes. Truly I say to you that he, so that Christ, will prepare himself to serve. And have them recline at the table, and he, that is Christ, will come up and serve them, which is us. Whether Christ comes in the second watch or even the third and finds them so, blessed are those slaves. We do not know the day or time of his return, the second or third watch of the night. So, brethren, let us fix our gaze upon Christ, purify ourselves, and cultivate within ourselves a longing to see Christ, our blessed hope. Amen. Why don't we pray here? Father, we come and, and Lord, we thank you uh, that we have this hope, this, this fixed thing in the future uh, that is yet to come, that, that Christ will return. And as it says, that he will take us to himself. Uh, Christ promised that he will come yet again. And so, Lord, we, we thank you that, that you've given that to us. And, and even just as, as Paul tells us, uh, twice at least, in talking about the armor of God, uh, of, of putting on this helmet of salvation, to put on this hope of salvation. Lord, we ask that you would help us. Lord, help us to, to have our gaze a gaze fixed upon Christ, help, help to have us longing after Christ's return and being with him. Lord, pray that you would help us, Lord, that, that the Spirit would convict us, help us to be those that are found waiting, that are found prepared, 
that are found to be on the alert. So that like Simeon and like Anna, that we would be there and we would be ready and be able to participate in the full blessing of seeing Christ. Lord, we we again, we commit ourselves to you. Lord, we, we know that in and of ourselves, Lord, we are forgetful. Um, it's so easy for us to, to forget. It's easy for us to, to become cold and calloused. So pray, Lord, that, that you would fix it in our hearts, Lord, that you would burn it in our hearts. Uh, that, that, again, that, that having this, uh, this, this attitude of preparedness, this attitude of longing and looking and waiting for Christ to come. So, Father, we, again, we commit ourselves to you, Father, this morning. Amen.